I stay bout it, I'm not pouting Break through walls and climb it mountains If you want it, scream it loud and show What's up gang, welcome back to the Brain Tainment Podcast Today I'm joined by my new friend, the mastermind creator of The Fit Foodie uh, boasting an impressive social following of nearly 100,000, Sally O'Neill. She provides quality and useful content consistently around nutrition, which we'll focus a lot on today, lifestyle and more. Um, so yeah, she's a blogger, develops delicious, nutritious recipes, which we might get a chance to touch on as well. Um, author of some fantastic cookbooks, as well as a keen photographer as well. Uh, snapping imagery, imagery for cookbooks and advertorials around the world. And she's also recently launched the podcast Wellness Fact or Fiction, which is fucking awesome, where she and her co-host discuss the intricacies around one particular food or supplement or idea to ultimately um, separate what is fact and what is what is fiction, which is really interesting, particularly given how much conflicting information there is out there today. Uh, so I'm sure everyone listening to this would relate and get some value. So be sure to check that one out. So the nutrition space is probably where I want to go with this chat, given that Sal is wildly well-versed uh, in that field, but I feel like we could riff for hours and hours, but let's see how we go. That said, <laughs> welcome to the show. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. What an intro. Loved that. Makes me feel special when I'm <laughs> just working away on my own and nobody pats me on the back anymore being a freelancer. So thank you, darling. Well, there's your Pet virtual me. pat on the back. Yeah, you're doing an yeah, excellent job. And so we've had... <laughs> We've had some good chats off there, so it's good to connect for this one and um, dive into some important subject matter. For sure. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. So for me, I think just to kick things off and provide some context, the Fit Foodie, what's it all about? How was that born? Maybe just give us the highlights reel of how that all came about and why. Yeah, for sure. So um, we were actually just having a conversation off air about how a lot of people in the health and wellness space um, generally create something based on a negative experience and then they kind of turn their lives around and they want to share that with everyone and help other people which is actually really incredible so it's turning a negative into a positive um, but for me it was more of a slow burn and then I had an unpleasant experience so I um, I had a terrible diet I used to live in the UK with this horrible accent and then um, came over here about 10 years ago now it feels like a lifetime um, and I started working in a job that I wasn't particularly excited about and while I was there I was super bored I had a degree in management and I was doing um and like an admin job basically just to try and get sponsorship in Australia um got sponsored and then um I had a terrible diet and I was like right I need to learn to not eat microwave food because number one there's not a lot of it in Australia 10 years ago funnily enough like you guys are all over the good nutrition I like it um but I just had no idea of how to cook like literally uh, I think I was 24 and I didn't know how to boil an egg or know when chicken was cooked through I'm not even it's like super embarrassing um so my mom sent me some I literally I remember being in Melbourne and I went onto the street and phoned my mom outside of Coles and I was like mom there's literally no microwave meals and I can't live off cereal for the next like six months while I'm traveling so um I need you to hit me up with some recipes so she sent some really basic English food that I'm really like in love with um and I realized that there was actually a heap of garbage in there that I didn't know I was eating so for example she used to put um jam in bolognese because apparently it like brings out the flavor of the meat is that like the grossest thing you've ever heard I haven't heard that one I reckon that's an absolute fallacy she's given you there (laughs) (laughs) it's like Three tablespoons of raspberry jam when you're cooking the meat. I'm like, no, mom, that's not okay. It's gross. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she's a fan of all things delicious and um, delectable. So I was carrying a fair bit of weight at the time, um, but didn't really care about it. Wasn't too conscious. And then obviously hitting Australia and like being around Bondi, there's everybody's ripped and exercising all the time. And you're kind of like, oh wow, I really need to step up my game. <laughs> um, and so I started like practicing with these recipes and um, taking out some of the stuff that. I thought was a bit on the unhealthier side just because I was like well I don't need to go and buy a jar of jam to make bolognese that's ridiculous save money um, and be a little bit healthier and all the stuff tasted awesome and I started sending it back home to my mom on email and long story short it got to the point where like six months down the track I'd sent her that many emails and that many new recipes and things that I'd started creating in like the health space I got really excited about it um and my then boyfriend who I was with said let's just actually set up a website so that your mum can see all these things and we can log on and um it's it, it never will disappear at your emails because once you've made something we never make it again because you mm. can't find it in your bloody emails um 
what I didn't realize was it was a blog. I had absolutely no idea. I'm so not tech savvy as we yeah. were just talking about. Um, and yeah, he'd set it up for me. And so like, I went on about four months later and saw that there were statistics. I didn't know you could see on like WordPress where people have looked at your web page from and things. Um, and saw that it actually had like a couple of thousand views and it wasn't just my mom. I'm like, oh God, this is cool. So <laughs> Unless your mom was aggressively just refreshing yeah. the page and just like- <laughs> I need these brownies. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't think she was overly key. I don't even know if she actually looked in, to be quite honest. Um, but yeah, I ended up giving it a logo, which I think then was purely delicious recipes, which was terrible. Um, and started putting some iPhone photos on there and then sharing my journey on Instagram because I started to lose a bit of weight. I thought, this is cool. I'm not really trying too hard. I'm still eating all the stuff that I used to eat. Um, but I'm dropping a few kilos. I'm walking a bit more, but nothing major. Um, and so it went from there and my Instagram started to take off. And again, long story short, um, a publisher found me of all places on LinkedIn, because like, I just feel like that's like the most underused social network ever. Um, got contacted me on LinkedIn and said, Hey, we're really interested. We want you to come and do a book. And can you come in for a meeting? I was like, uh, I think so. Yeah, sure. And I thought I had a look at them and it was Bauer. So they're the people who do all the like women's weekly cookbooks. Right. Um, and I was thinking, right, okay, so they're going to get me to do a forward for a woman's weekly cookbook. And it might be like an influencer special or I don't know, something weird. Um, and I turned up and they had Lorna Jane's book stacked up and a couple of other cool people. And they said, oh, we actually just want to take all the recipes off your website and put them into a book. Is that cool? Of your own? And I was like, oh, yeah, trying to be cool. Like, um, yeah, sure. Yeah, we can do that. Uh got home, sent them all the photos that I'd taken on, I might add off my iPhone. And they said, oh, we just need the raw files though. So we can print them properly into a book. And I was like, uh, I don't know what raw means. And so I literally had to go away and work, I Googled it, realized I didn't have any raw files. So for anybody who's not in the photo world, it's basically like the really large version on a DSLR camera. And it's like the highest quality photo you can get. And that's what they need to publish. Um, and so I didn't have any of those. So I had to have another meeting and say, look, I'm going to shoot this whole thing. I've got no understanding of how to do food photography, but I'm going to learn. Um, give me a couple of weeks. I'm going to watch a million YouTube videos and I'll, I'll get onto it. Um, so I did. And I did it in about four and a half weeks. I shot the whole yeah. book again, um, submitted it to him and it got published, which was super cool. I think um, what I like about your story is it's very much built around just exploring in pas your passions and ideas and things you're curious and interested in. And then um, these opportunities have almost just unfolded off the back. Came of at just, me. Yeah. Exploring those curiosities, which is what I talk a lot about on this show. So that's what I love about your story. Yeah, it was, it was super cool and super organic as well. Cause people quite often come to me and go, Oh, how did you grow your following? How did you end up in the business that you do? And it's, it's really hard. It's just, it's just me sharing my passion. So it's hard to kind of portray that to someone who might potentially not have the same passion or the same level of interest that I do. And so yeah. along the way, I got super excited about nutrition and now I'm doing, and um, I'm doing a nutrition degree. So it's um, a bachelor of science in clinical nutrition but now the plan is to major, I want to do um, further study and it's going to be in human behavior change. So the plan is to be um, a nutritionist specializing in human behavior change to help people actually implement lasting change at home rather than just go, oh, eat more veggies and drink more water because that's yeah. kind of pointless. Um, everybody knows that, you know, you don't want to pay $120 to hear that. So um, I really so want to add a bit more value. Well, where do you see people going wrong then? So... We're like a lot of the there's some very basic fundamentals which I think are universal across nutrition and, and movement and things of that nature. Um, but as you would know, not everyone is wildly fit and healthy. So where do you think <laughs> people go wrong? Is it a is it a mindset thing? Is it a cultural norm situation? What are some of the things you've observed that um, yeah. make people fall short? Good question. Um, I think there's quite a lot of influence, influencing factors and one of them being your upbringing and whether you celebrated with food as a child. So a lot of children on the birthday or on a Friday or whatever might get a treat and it's mm. generally food based. So at Christmas, we celebrate with food. It's just a cultural thing. Um, we have birthday cake on a Friday. You might get a bag of sweets because it's the end of the week or you might have fish and chips like we used to in the UK. And I think it is just like a celebratory um, social thing where you have a little treat and it's something a bit more delicious than normal and so for me um I've personally grown up with using food as um kind of a treat of like oh I did well or I'm celebrating something or 
I'm happy I achieved something. I want to treat myself with a chocolate bar to say, well done me. But it's actually creating this quite negative emotional connection that's not helpful um, for people. So certainly I know when I get stressed or I'm down or um, I'm just not, my head's not in the game. Say I haven't worked out that morning. I generally will reach for unhealthier options to kind of, act as a crutch mm. and I need that sugar hit to make myself feel a little better I'm feeling a bit blue or I'm bored and I reach to the cupboard and I get something that I don't really need when I'm checking in with myself so it's just that emotional crutch and I think different people have it for different reasons and, and you know some people get stressed and don't eat whereas I personally get stressed and I can't eat enough mm. so um it's, it's kind of built into your I guess your habits and what yeah. your neuronal pathways have kind of got used to and so um I think we've spoken about this before but there's a a rad book called Atomic Habits that I like live and breathe by um, by James Clear and it's essentially about how to rewire those neuronal pathways in different ways um, because we are ingrained with such um, habits that mm. kind of don't either work against what we're trying to achieve or just don't um, don't assist us in daily life so they, there's some really awesome tips in that book if anybody's interested but one of the other things that he actually mentions and I've seen it daily is that um, you try like you were saying what else affects it one of the things is your tribe so if you're around people that don't eat healthily or they drink a lot you're like way more likely to be involved in those behaviors um and I think the saying goes you are the the result of the five people you spend the most time around um and so if you've got people around you eating maccas all day then your tendency to want to have a maccas and be presented with it and look at it every day and all that kind of thing then yes you're going to want to have it so if you're in a family unit or a group of friends that are going ham on like the unpleasant treat like the the unhealthier options then you're in a tricky spot and it's kind of finding a group of people that are on your level that um, want to eat healthier and surround yourself with them and have some sort of accountability. So you might go for a walking group or you might, you know, post your meals every day to a WhatsApp group, whatever, but finding your tribe that you can share with and be supported by, I think is really important. And um, I think we really underestimate it in nutrition. So as I was saying, like, nobody needs to be told to eat more vegetables and drink more water it's it's really like we've got the basics we get it we can google it it's two minute information source away you know um but realistically it's it's about habit and behavior change as well so that's what i'm hoping to learn a lot more about in the coming future oh that is great that that is my jam cell um i love that answer and i've had a few people on this show talk around diet and lifestyle nutrition i think that insight is really fucking powerful to recognize that we as humans we're creatures of habit and to to recognize that yeah as childhood and have that association i had never actually looked at nutrition um from that from that sort of from that element i suppose but recognizing that literally everything we do is building neural pathways where it was the neurons that wire together or fire together wire together that is literally the process of of pattern building and and habit building so that's really interesting i think what it does um for people that potentially have struggled we'll just stay on this diet thread for now that have struggled with um you know diet and lifestyle choices it could very well be that their habits of thinking and association and um, are so ingrained that it's really tricky to start to break those. It's certainly not impossible, but it almost um, creates a sense of like, you're not, you're not broken. You're not weak. It's just that unfortunately, for whatever reason, you may have built poor habits. So that is Absolutely. comforting to an extent. I suppose the, um, the caveat to mention though is, okay, well, what do we do about it now? And it sounds like, well, I'm assuming um, it is possible to start to rebuild new habits. Absolutely. So um, there's this thing that we've got called neuroplasticity, which is the ability of the brain to change reactions um, on, on, or our known reactions. So with a neural pathway, essentially, it's just, as you were saying, it's just all the neurons kind of firing together to get us to do an action or to make us crave something or whatever, like to, to result in an output. And so um, when we get a trigger, there's normally a trigger, a response and an action. And so the, and that's kind of wired into us from past experiences and upbringing and social norms and all that kind of thing. And so um, specifically with people with addictions, that, that, that kind of neural pathway is really strong. And so like 
for my mum, for example, she has food and then as a dessert, she has a cigarette. And that's literally, she doesn't even think about it. She has a food and then she goes outside and she, she has a coffee and she lights up a cigarette. And it's just, that's what she does. Um, and that neuronal pathway now is really, really strong. So to get her to break that is going to require very um, tactical practices, I think, to kind of break that that thing that's been firing every single time she's had a meal yep. um, for however many years. So it's how do you kind of interject that reaction within your brain to say, hang on a minute, let's just take a step back. Let's maybe change the reaction to the trigger. Yeah. Um, and so there's a couple of different methods, but one that I've been using recently on myself just to trial it out is um, called the five second rule. And I think it was originally spoken about by Mel Robbins. Oh, yeah, I know Mel. Got, yeah, so of course, she's got a really good TED talk um, out at the moment, or it's been out for a while, but an, a book on it as well. And it's basically just as simple as to break it down and, um, you know, just kind of condense it. It's as simple as counting back from five, four, three, two, one, like you're about to launch a rocket. That's the story behind it. Um, and the idea is that when you take a breath and you count back, it interjects those neuronal pathways so that you can then at the end at one, you can then change your response. Mm -hmm. So your brain isn't just working on autopilot. You've stopped it and been more mindful and gone, hang on a minute. What do I need to do to change now yeah. my normal reaction? Um, and so, and it's free, it's a free tool. Anyone can use it. It's really simple. And I've been using it actually to get, <laughs> sounds really weird, but using it to get out of bed when I'm really lazy, you know, when you yeah. like set your alarm, you're like, I could just hit snooze one more time. Absolutely. Like, no, I'm not going to hit snooze. I'm going to count down from five and on one, <laughs> I'm going to get out of bed and it works. It's brilliant. I've got out of bed like on time for the last five days. So I'm like, this is, I'm <laughs> I love this tip. Um, but yes, anything that you do habitually, apparently you can break um, that cycle with that tip. And there's a, there's a lot of different things you can use i like that sense um, of intentionality and being able to step in between stimulus and response because like you're alluding to there i think that's half the challenge whether it's someone who's listening or watching this it's maybe um you know maybe their diet's completely fucked right now and they're just trying to go from a to b but the same truth applies to someone who's maybe reasonably fit but they're trying to go to that next level of optimizing their body the same sort of challenge is they'll be faced with with they're ingrained with certain habits right now, but if you can step in between that stimulus and response and have that intentionality, absolutely, that is, I think, the key. Um, and yeah, it's so easy cool. to, like, I know for myself, I feel like I eat reasonably well, but even still, um, if I'm a little bit stressed, I can find, like, I, I consider dark chocolate as my healthy treat. Yeah, I can fucking sure. polish off a, a whole block and a half and be like, whoops, where'd it go? Like, I don't know how yeah. I even did that because it's yeah. the lack of intentionality. So I reckon if we can yeah. train ourselves to get good at that as a powerful Absolutely. And the other thing that probably would be helpful in that circumstance, and I know a lot of people find that, like they'll be sat in front of the TV, right, and they're eating and the whole bag of chips has gone before they've even tasted it or realised that they've got through the bag. And it's like, what just happened? That's really, like, I feel like I've just been in a third body, like, <laughs> experience. Um, but actually mindful eating, and it's probably, I feel like it's a bit of a wanky term because it's been overused, but it's basically just paying attention when you eat and mm. so and not having distractions and just setting yourself up for a good meal time. So if you are going to have a snack or say you're going to have a healthy treat, honestly tell yourself, I'm going to have this block and a half because I feel like it and I'm desperate for it and I'm stressed, but I'm literally going to taste every mouthful. And if I get through the whole block and a half, I'm not going to kick myself about it at all. Yeah. But what I am going to do is taste every bit of it rather than in 15 minutes, look back and go, hang on a minute, what just happened? And because you're not getting the enjoyment out of it. You're kind of like, well, that's a waste because I didn't even yeah. like taste it on the way down. So I used to have to, so I had, um, as I was just saying, when I started the blog, I actually had like an unpleasant experience kind of halfway through my journey. And that was something called orthorexia. Uh, which is essentially a version of anorexia, but it's the focus isn't on low weight. It's on being the healthiest version you can be, right. which conversely actually makes you really sick because yeah. you end up cutting out so much food and you end up exercising so much that you just emaciated essentially. And so I stopped having my periods. My hair was falling out. Um, I went down to 43 kilos. Wow. Um, it was just, yeah, tricky, tricky time when I was 27. Um, and I think social media played a big part of that actually, but the one of the things they told me to do as part of my therapy was, and it actually killed me because I hate mints, but they made me used to, used to put a menthol in my mouth and I had to sit there in silence and then report back once it had been melting in my mouth for like 15 minutes, 
all the sensations that went on in my mouth, which is obviously teaching mindfulness with eating. Because what I was doing was just like when I ate, I would scoff it and not pay any attention. So they were trying to teach mindfulness, but actually just even sitting with a piece of dark chocolate in your mouth and going, what's the texture like? What's the flavor like? What's the aroma? How long does it take to melt? Blah, blah, blah. And really sitting with it. Just do it once. And you'll be like, wow, that was a completely different, enjoyable experience. And it makes you just want to sit with your food, put your phone away, turn the music off. Don't get into super deep conversations with people because that's really stimulating for your brain. And then you can't focus on your food. So I get really annoyed when my boyfriend's like, (laughs) What, what do you think to this Tony Robbins talk or blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, dude, I'm eating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do this right now. Can we save it for afterwards? I'm like the most insocial person. I'm like focusing on the food, man. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. So in terms of benefits for, for like the stuff we're talking about right now, we're talking about things to do as if there's some level of importance to eating well, which I think we all know there mm. is. But from your experience and the people that reach out to you, I suppose, on your platform now, what are some of the real world benefits? I guess what I'm asking is why should people actually give a fuck with what they put into their body? Um, you mentioned yeah, weight sure. loss um, earlier in the piece, but uh, mm. could you maybe expand on what you found is, has been beneficial from eating well and why people should just consider yeah. exploring their diet? Yeah, for sure. So mine, interestingly, mine was never about weight loss. It was just about um, kind of being experimental with healthier foods. And then the weight loss was a byproduct, which was very fortunate. But then I started to become overly obsessed with um, eating healthy foods. So it can kind of, it's, it's on a spectrum, right? You need to sit somewhere in the middle of balance. And it's so not sexy to sell, but it really is everything in balance. Like have your dark chocolate and enjoy like a chicken salad or whatever, maybe without the dressing, but still have it. Don't deprive yourself of it because as soon as you do, that's when you go on the binges and you have too much alcohol and like you get your kicks from somewhere else. Mm. So um, I've really found, and, and uh, like on my journey to recovery, which took me a couple of years with therapy, um, I found that it's like, if, if I don't treat myself in some way um, or, or have something that's potentially healthy, then you're totally ruining your your health benefits from trying to eat well 90% of the time because then you go and ruin it all by binging on something for 10% of the time. So um, I think keeping in mind the health benefits is super helpful when you're on a health journey rather than the weight loss benefits and all that jazz because it's, yeah. it's kind of unhelpful to be concentrating on your weight and the scales and um, I think it's just, yeah, like counterintuitive to what we enjoy as humans. Mm. Um But for me, like the health benefits that I've seen, way better sleep, according to my Fitbit app, which I feel is like pretty accurate on the whole REM sleep and all that jazz for testing quality of sleep. Um, And I've seen like really increased energy, less brain fog, as people like to say, we're just feeling like a bit confused and easily distracted and things like that. Um, But also just feeling I'm very bubbly and energized as a human. And when um, when I was eating a less healthy diet, I felt really sluggish and I don't know whether it was just my digestion or, um, you know, my joints weren't working in the way that it should because I had a bit of extra weight on or whatever. You're obviously more prone to, um, to injury and things. If you're not looking after your bones and you're not doing some sort of like a little bit of resistant exercise, then there's obviously a heap of health implications there, but I just felt like a different person. I feel like the real me now I eat healthily and I actually give my body the nutrients that it needs. So, um, I'm living proof that I think you can literally go from one extreme to the other and neither work. And I found an awesome balance right in the middle where I just feel super healthy. My weight's stable. I eat what I want most of the time and I have a couple of treats here and there, but I don't use food to celebrate anymore. It's just like a nice um, treat every day where I have like a couple of squares of dark chocolate and I don't deprive myself and that's it. I love that. What I'm hearing you say, Sal, is it sounds like your your sort of your north star, I suppose, around nutrition is to feel good, um, and that's almost the overarching theme or message of this platform and show that I facilitate here is that man, fucking fulfillment, feeling good should be the should be the goal, and everything else is kind of strategy in between. And I think if you start trying to deprive yourself, like you said, you start trying to um, eat in a way that is solely focused on aesthetics. I mean, there's nothing wrong with you know like. I always, I always joke that number two in my priorities is to look a certain way. I like looking fit and athletic, but number one, man, I just want to feel good. And I like that some of your go-tos and that answer where you sleep well, you're more energetic. It's all about yeah. that feeling. Well, that's good the so motivation. Yeah, that's the motivation though, right? Because like, yes, it's it's awesome to look and feel, sorry, to feel sure. good and, um, and feel energized and things. And when you look in the mirror, 
that's often the motivation to keep you going because you're mm. like, oh, I'm seeing results. But you can't keep going if you don't feel good. Like if right. you're feeling lethargic and you don't want to go up and get up at 5 a.m. to go to the gym and you're tired and your food's not, like, you're not fueling yourself properly. Yep. You're not then want to go, going to keep doing this new habit that you've got into. So um, I think the feeling good is always number one. And then the secondary benefits like the weight loss and you know avoiding chronic disease and cancer and all that kind of thing all that stuff is a really amazing bonus, but like, let's feel good first. Right. And I think the trick with, um, with takeout and fast food is that it lulls you into this false sense of security that it's going to feel good in the moment, but it's that, um, long-term reward that we're after of feeling good for the long-term and sustaining it. So your, your habit, like your little tiny, tiny habits today build up into what is essentially going to be your long-term good health. Um, whereas in the moment you can do something and, it long-term it leads to bad health so um or poor health outcomes so um it's making that choice every day and even though you feel like oh this one burger isn't going to make a difference and i'm not bagging out burgers because you can definitely have healthy delicious ones Mm. but like say you're going to have a takeout um in that moment it's like this is not going to make a difference to my composition it's not going to make a difference to my lifts tomorrow it's not going to make a difference to my body fat today and that's absolutely right but as soon as you get into the habit of doing that regularly just like if you get into the habit of doing something healthy regularly, like going to the gym every day, you get those compound benefits in the long run. So it's trying to, I think trying to bring in the benefits of long-term to the now is a really cool way of trying to keep yourself motivated. Um, So whether it's like, for every, if you tick off on a calendar, like I've done a workout today and you get four weeks in a row, as many workouts as you wanted to do. And then you say, right, I'm going to go and treat myself, but it's not with food. So it's with, I'm going to go and take myself off for a massage because my muscles are sore and it'll be a really nice experience where I get to chill out yeah. or I'm going to go and sit in the park for two hours without my phone and read and no one's allowed to contact me and that's going to be my, my time in nature and downtime for my brain what a treat so it's it, bringing the the future benefits into the now can really help you build those like positive um like that positive reinforcement to do healthy benefit uh, healthy habits yeah, that is awesome. We we're talking off air about, um, you know, how much we're both, it sounds like really fascinating with the brain. And I think this That's psychology true. of of eating and, and being healthy is so important um, because like we've alluded to a couple of times, this, the information for the most part is accessible, um, but it's, it's understanding why humans do things, why they don't do things. And when you have that understanding, like we're exploring right now, I feel like that's really powerful because you can use that to your advantage. You can know what is going to make you do the things that you want to be doing. You can know how to remove things that, um, whether it's people or situations that are going to lead to poor behavior. So that psychology Mm -hmm. is so paramount and what I consider the the foundations of an optimal Mm -hmm. life. While I've got you here though, I want to dive into some, um, some specifics, I suppose, and just get your thoughts on a couple of different um, areas of nutrition and even lifestyle if we get the time for it as well. Um, let's start with let's start with meat. So outside of the um, the moral side of things because that's mm. um, a separate conversation but pure, purely from a health point of view sure. uh, look I, I'm, a, I'm personally a big meat eater and, and I enjoy it and um, my limited understanding around nutrition, um, has certainly, uh, I've conditioned myself to see the, the value in meat consumption anyway, but could you maybe share your thoughts around, is it, is it good? Is it bad? Is, is it a bit, is, are some better than others? Um, sure. proportions, yeah, it's, does such that a, it's such a fascinating topic because I think there's arguments for and against on literally every, every stance that you take around meat, uh, pescatarianism, vegetarianism, there's an argue for and against why you should do it. And it really comes down to what fits into your lifestyle and what's sustainable and what you morally feel comfortable with. Um, because for me, so I personally am mostly pescatarian. So I, I eat fish, I eat loads of eggs and um, I eat tofu and stuff like that to get my protein in. And I have whey protein. So it's from a dairy source and I'm not too concerned about that. Um, I'm not anti eating animals. However, um, I don't eat red meat mostly because um i think that there's a lot of hormonal implications with commercially farmed meat um and I'm yet to be proven otherwise based on the studies that I've read. So the tricky thing is if you're buying the stuff from a supermarket that's the cheap, you know, mince meat or whatever, you don't necessarily know what's known what's in there. And with hormones, they do sit in the fat and the muscle tissue of animals. 
like they do with humans. And so when we consume those, we're also consuming the hormones. Um, and with commercially farmed stuff, they're pumped with them to um, make them grow faster, to produce more meat, to produce more volume of food quicker. Um, and so not only is it not the best quality meat because like the feed that they're getting is not great. Um, but it's also, you, you're actually consuming those hormones, which can have effect on your own hormone profile, which I think is really fascinating. So it actually translates yeah. to humans. Um, and I certainly wouldn't be taking a pill with hormones in that have come, you know, come through an animal that's been fed that feed. So, and I wouldn't be eating that feed. So do I want to consume it down the food chain? Not really. And cause I can't test the meat myself. I don't know what I'm getting. Yeah. So really for me, from a health perspective, I just, I, I kind of edge my bets and say, you know what, if I'm going to have red meat, um, or, or really meat of any kind, then I'm going to try and choose the one that's labeled hormone free and trust the labeling system, which again is, bit tricky um but then also try and get stuff that's free range and organic yeah. um just because i know that they've had access to good soil and good you know um grass and things like that to help with the digestion and um, and generally they're not pumped with hormones so, so the, the quality matters the primarily. quality over quantity yeah. always always and like i would um I would go for, yeah, absolutely grass-fed, organic where possible. And just eat, it, I know it's expensive. That's the problem. And it puts me off as well. I'm not like mm. rolling around in cash going, oh, I'm going to get, you know, the the lamb shank that's been yeah. you know, <laughs> pasture red and blah, blah, blah. But um, the I would rather do that once a week and then eat eggs for the rest of the week, as long as they're organic eggs. Um, because I feel like as long as like the nutrition and the quality of the yeah. food that I'm eating is high rather than it being uh, like nutrition, you know, lower in nutrition and higher in hormones that can affect me in, not in negative ways. So there's actually a really interesting book if people are interested to dig further into the topic called On Eating Meat. Okay. And it was written by a guy who used to be a butcher. Um, but he then went vegan and now eats meat again. He's got a really balanced view and he's actually gone into abattoirs and things and had a look at how stuff is commercially produced and presents both sides. Um, but interestingly, on the vegan debate, he argues in this particular book that um, vegans, nothing's actually vegan in the sense that animals have to die in order to produce vegan food. So if they're protecting, say, the pumpkins from pests, mm. they have to um, either have like pesticides or whatever, which is essentially killing insects, which is a living thing. Or um, if it's, you know, crops, they have to keep kangaroos out. So they might shoot the kangaroos to keep it pest, like pest free as a kangaroo. Um, and yeah, and like birds and things, they have to put bird nets up so they don't come in and like bite, you know, the fruit and veggies and things. So it's, there's actually nothing that is complete unless it's um, propagated in a greenhouse, which is not really done commercially. Um, then yeah crops are just a tricky thing in themselves as well mm. for the vegan debate so it's really tricky to have something that's not um had an impact on an animal life if you want to look at you like mentioned that. eggs there so mm. i have eggs every morning um love my free egg omelet and my yes, and my uh, bulletproof coffee in the morning so uh what are some of this sort of the highlights reel of eggs I, i've read somewhere that it's really good um like obviously protein source um, there's a couple other things that's just slipping my mind right now. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely awesome. So they're actually one of the foods that you could survive on if you had no other food in your diet. So if you, you know, when people say, oh, well, if you went to um, an island, what foods would you take? Always pick eggs because <laughs> okay. you can literally, they have every, pretty much every um, essential vitamin and mineral that you need as a human yeah. to survive, um, which is incredible. There's not a lot of food sources that are like that. And they have, so they've got fat and protein, which is amazing. And um, you've probably read a million times by now that humans don't actually need carbs to survive. Life. like mm. it's good for energy is an energy source but we don't need they're not absolutely essential whereas protein and fats are because they help us produce hormones and build muscle and um, and so those are the two really important macronutrients and eggs contain both which yeah. is awesome as comparative to say chicken that has fat in less amounts so um eggs are great for that they've got biotin in which is not easily accessible um normally by food source they've got vitamin d they've got loads of fat soluble vitamins so all the really good stuff are in eggs and and um, if you're having them every morning, go on, yeah, because I think- I'm getting hungry. I'm going to have it straight after this. I'm going to have a big omelet. <laughs> oh my God. I've totally already had mine. Jealous. Um, but people are so worried about the cholesterol debate still, which mm. it just confounds me because it's such old information. Yeah. And I think 
nutrition in itself is a fairly new study in, in the fact that we've only been studying it for around 200 years. So the fact that like, we're still we're still plowing money into these studies and still trying to work out from a nutrition perspective whether that was a big enough cohort whether we can draw conclusions from the results we found was it not was it funded by the egg society you know there's there's so many things to consider when we're looking at studies yeah. um and um, it's just one of those things that like we're still learning new stuff every day. So ages ago, there was this whole media debate about, you know, um, it's got eggs are really high in cholesterol and they, they contain a lot of cholesterol. But just like we know when you eat avocado that contains fat, that fat doesn't just get transmitted into fat in the body. You don't just mm. then put on that weight in fat. It gets used for a number of different things. And then what isn't needed is often excreted. Right. But it's the same with cholesterol. So your liver is actually really, really clever and it produces cholesterol. But when you take in too much, it downregulates its own production to make sure that your body's got the right amount. So if you eat a load of eggs, your body, your liver will downregulate its cholesterol production to account for that, mm-hmm. unless you have a pre-existing liver or cholesterol issue, in which case then you would need to be concerned because you're taking in more and your body can't necessarily downregulate its production. There might be a, a different like clearance system that it doesn't work that doesn't work properly. Yeah. So um, for most people, you can actually have the, the Heart Health Foundation actually say you can have an unlimited amount of eggs now. Well, that's exciting. So there's no, like, there's no <laughs> cap. You can't, because yeah. I think people used to be like, oh, I can only have a couple of eggs a day. And that means otherwise I'll get high cholesterol. It's absolutely not true. I was worried. I was just Great. going way over the, over my quota on eggs every day. <laughs> um, you touched on fats there and the avocados and things like that. I want to talk about while we have the time, just certain um, specific diets, for example, the ketogenic diet, the paleo, things of that yes, nature. Yeah. Uh, what are your, is there a one best way or is it, does it depend on the human? <laughs> Definitely depends on the human. And um, because I think number one, we're all biologically different. And I say this to everybody is that it, the, the most, the easiest way to look at it is that we've all got completely different fingerprints so much so that the government can use it as a personal identifier. So if you think we all are significantly biologically different in every way and so one person might react to the keto diet a completely different way to the next person because we have different hormone levels of hormones and you know men versus women and different ethnicities and we all react differently and so what I think is the perfect diet is the one that you can stick to consistently because if you don't have compliance there's literally not a diet in the world that's going to work for you You can do something for five weeks drop a couple of kilos and then what happens like you're going to go back to your normal diet and everything resumes So whatever you can stick to consistently, more importantly than anything, enjoy. That's the sweet spot. And it might be keto because you enjoy a lot of fat in your diet. It might be um, veganism because you actually don't really like the taste of meat, for example, and you really love plants. And so, or you really love nuts and seeds and that kind of thing. So that might really fit in with your lifestyle. But realistically as long as you're making sure that you're not deficient in any particular macronutrient or micronutrient and you've got all the bases covered there's really no special pill or tactic it's just whatever you can stick with it fits in with your lifestyle that's easy that hits all the markers and it's happy days just on deficiency then that's a really handy segue thank you so uh supplements so are they are they necessary are some better than others again similar sort of train of thought or questions here but um is that something that you experiment with, supplements? Yeah, I, I actually, um, I had to write a list of all my supplements the other day for a, um, for a medical doctor. And I just, I'm actually embarrassed because I take so many. I literally had like nine. I just took photos. I was like, I can't even write this out. It's embarrassing. You like um, me. <laughs> but it's all me because I work out six or seven days a week. It's literally that one percenter that gives me an additional, like a couple of extra reps is definitely not necessary. And I spend way too much money on it for sure. I'm one of those people who just gets sucked in by cute packaging and things. But I also do do my research because I've got access to all these journals as a nutrition student. Mm. So I do know what has, what is um, effective and what isn't essentially. Um, and then I also obviously try stuff out on my own body as well. But interestingly, um, I just did a podcast about multivitamins. So this is what the podcast is built around. Cause I feel like there's so much marketing spiel oh, that so is complete garbage. It's complete garbage. It's just to get people to, it's to play on people's vulnerabilities to get them to part with money. Mm. Um, I mean, 20 and- years ago, uh, cereal was, was the health food, right? <laughs> Yeah, and fortified with iron and B vitamins. Yeah. It's like, cool, Milo, this is great for me. Yum. Milo, which is, isn't it just like chocolate, 
but yeah. an <laughs> um, Ovaltine is going to help you sleep, and it's just like literally powdered sugar with flavouring. Cool, yeah. thanks, guys. I remember going, Mom, um, I need some of that. I want to be big yeah. and strong. I'm just having teaspoons of sugar. I'm like a junkie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to make me strong. But when you were a kid, you actually just churn through it anyway, so it's not so bad. True. Um, but yeah, as for as an adult, interestingly, the one the research that we were just doing on vitamins, they were saying that. Um, something like 80% of people who take a multivitamin daily are the people that have a fairly decent diet that actually don't need to supplement because they're already self con- uh, health conscious. And so the people that are health conscious are the people who are buying the tablets, which are the people that don't need them because they're not deficient. So it's really interesting how marketing plays to the people who are already like super conscious about the health and they've probably already got everything they need from the diet. But then we are the people who then part with all our money to say, yeah, I actually need that extra 1%. So um, realistically, the the only reason you would need um, proper supplementation in what we call a therapeutic dose, so to have a certain effect, um, is generally if you've got a deficiency. And it might be if you're vegetarian, you're low on B vitamins. It might be that you're low on vitamin D, which I think I won't get into this whole debate, but it's um, it's seen in a lot of people who've had COVID. Um, and there's a lot of evidence to, to, to suggest that people who are lower in vitamin D are more susceptible. So um, they don't know that it's causative, but it might be contribu- a contributing factor. And so um, we've seen a lot, a, a significant amount of people looking at the vitamin D and vitamin D cells have shot up, right? But do we actually need it? People don't genuinely know unless they've had blood tests done. So pathology, we need to know if there's actually a deficiency because otherwise you're literally going to piss it out. Excuse my French. Um, and it is expensive pee. And that's why your pee looks bright yellow when you have lots of vitamins because <laughs> it's, just, it's just going through your like your kidneys um so yes in certain circumstances it's worth supplementing but go and get your bloods tested if you've got symptoms or you really think like hmm, i think i could be missing out on a particular vitamin or mineral mm. um if you haven't got any symptoms if you eat a fairly balanced diet if you drink plenty of water realistically i know there's a whole issue around soil and nutrients in veg and things like that but realistically if you're eating a fairly balanced diet there's actually no reason to supplement Mm. um but again assuming you've got no health conditions or anything like that but definitely just go and get your bloods done just go and ask your gp and say i want a full blood check i want to make sure that everything's spot on i haven't got any you know copper toxicity or whatever heavy metals um and i just want to make sure everything's running smoothly and nine times out of the 10, they should say yes, they have to. Um, And then you can find out if you've got a deficiency and then you can go speak to a nutritionist and say, what's a therapeutic dose? Do I need 500 grams? Do I need two grams? Like what do I need to top it up and make myself feel good? So it's about having a very tailored approach and solving potential concerns as so much as it is about just having all the stuff to try and miraculously feel better. Yeah. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. I think we just, we take pills as an insurance in case something's wrong. Yeah. Like, 80% 80% of the time, like we take a multivitamin in case we didn't eat enough, yeah. I don't know, like whatever that day, yeah. or we take a greens powder because we thought we might not eat enough veg or whatever. And it's this weird insurance. But if you think about how we actually, like house insurance, for example, yeah, you don't normally get a benefit unless something terrible happens. True. So, you know, same with insurance of using vitamins. You don't normally get a benefit unless you're really, really in need of them. And then it kind of tops you up a little bit, but it's not going to like in the long run, you're probably just spending more yeah. on it than <laughs> I feel than like you I actually need. a greens powder, but, and then I'm looking at my diet. I'm like, I have like 47 broccolis a day, like two <laughs> bloody cabbages of kale. Living but, life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got two more for you, Sal, before we wrap things cool. up. Um, I just wanted to explore your thoughts around fasting. It's something I've been experimenting with and getting some value from, particularly around mental clarity. Don't know actually what it's doing for my body composition or anything like that, but um, what's been your experience with fasting? Yeah, fasting is really interesting. Again, I did a whole podcast on this if anybody wants to hop back onto it on wellness fact or fiction because there's a lot of cool scientific studies out there. And I was a little bit anti fasting before I did the research, funnily enough, just because I thought it was a different way of getting to a calorie deficit, which is, you know, results in weight loss, which is generally what the most of the population want. They want to lose a couple of kilos. They want to do it quickly. They want a magic pill. And skipping breakfast essentially does that for people because you eat less calories overall, bish, bash, bosh. However, um, there is actually more depth to it than I had originally anticipated when I was studying it. And now I'm a bit more of a fan. So, One of the benefits of fasting is that it actually um, 
causes cell death in weakened cells. So cells that are towards the end of the life cycle, um, they they go through a what's called um, like a system of apoptosis, which is essentially where they implode. They like kill themselves off when they're not useful anymore. Um, and the weakened cells do that faster when when you fast. Um, so you then regenerate new cells and you get fresh ones that are all super active and healthy and well, and you're getting lots of those if you fast regularly, um, and you're clearing out all those older cells. So apparently actually with, with that helps with, um, longevity and disease. That's the, the very basic theory of it. Now I haven't done fasting long enough to be able to attest to that. Um, there's not enough studies that go on for long enough to say, yes, this person lived longer because they fasted. Mm. Um, cause I feel like it's only really starting to get a lot of eyes on it in the last 10 years or so. Yeah. Um, so the studies, the studies just aren't there, but from a, from a biological standpoint, there's definitely nothing wrong with it. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with it. If you enjoy it, do it again. Like some people just don't like having breakfast. So it's the perfect segue to go, Oh, I'm actually intermittent fasting right now, guys. I'm having my bulletproof <laughs> coffee and I'm not eating breakfast. And that's fine. Cause you don't normally eat breakfast. You don't like it. Don't eat when you're not hungry. Um, but, um, for me, I find it really hard in the lifestyle that I have because I train first thing in the morning and my whole habit system, if I like, I do something called habit stacking, which is again, like an idea from James Clear, but where I do something in the morning, then I tag something else onto the end of it. And then I tag something else onto the end of that. And then the, the cycle continues till I end up having like a two hour morning routine. Um, I'm the same, don't I? But yeah, but it's something you don't think about, right? It's that neurological pathway thing of like, once it's ingrained, you just get up and you do the things. Um, and so now I've got into a habit of meditating at a certain spot at a certain time on the way back from the gym and then I have my coffee and then do this, that and the other. But for me, because I've trained first thing in the morning and that's my habit, I really struggle to then fast because I want protein within a couple of hours of training because I lift heavy. So if I'm doing like 100 kg deadlifts, I don't want to then like wait for four hours till I eat some protein because yeah. it, it then interjects with the muscle protein synthesis and, it, and you end up with a negative protein mm. balance, blah, 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 all the biology behind it. But um, it's basically not beneficial for me. And I don't like fasting at night because that's when I like to eat. <laughs> so like it really that. doesn't work for me. It's just one of those tricky timing things. I'm like, how do I work this into my life? If I, if I could, I would, because I think there are some really decent health benefits based on the science that we've got at the moment. Um, but I really, I struggle with it just because of my training cycles. So again, it really seems like it comes back to that North Star we are talking about earlier of just of feeling good and potentially there's a health, benef- a health benefits to a lot of things, but you can't, you can't do absolutely everything. You can't have absolutely every supplement. So it's no. a matter of, it sounds like just being able to be really curious about what's going to lead to that goal of, of, of feeling good and potentially fasting might work for you. Potentially it might not, but maybe absolutely. some trial and error around things that have some level of, um, I guess, substance or some level of research to suggest that there's some positive benefits and maybe experimenting. And then over time, being less interested in, in this example, fasting because Sally said so, but yeah. be more interested because there's some research behind this and I'm going to explore it. And if it works, I'm going to keep this in my routine. But if it, if it doesn't, maybe it's not perfect for me. Because I think where people fall down a little bit when it comes to this like optimization, you know, conversation, I suppose, is there's so many things to do. Um, they can just try and do everything, but the reality it's is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's yeah. It's so overwhelming. And I think it's one of those things where you can just um, try it for, t- I always say two weeks is a good marker to try something. Yeah. So if you want to try intermittent fasting and you're going to say, like, I'm going to do it three mornings a week, give it at least two weeks before you make a decision about whether it's working. Cause I think we try something once and we give it a week. We're like, Oh, this is shit. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not getting weight loss results. Or I'm not doing whatever the scales haven't changed, but we're just so impatient. It's like, just give something at minimum two weeks before you start making a call on it. Um, and the other thing that I found really interesting when I did the, um, when I did the study about intermittent fasting, um, time restricted eating is kind of an offshoot from intermittent fasting. And it's essentially where you, um, or I should say chrononutrition. So it's essentially when you eat in terms of your circadian rhythm, so your sleep-wake cycle. And what they're saying is that um, there's so many studies and benefits to having your biggest meal of the day the first time you eat, and then you taper off towards bedtime. So you have less to digest when you go to sleep, in theory, Mm. and then you have the most amount of energy when you need it the most, which makes sense because you're going to have to like use your energy through the day, and then you don't have a heavy meal at night, which is what I used to do as a kid. I used to have like a big roast dinner and 
potatoes and whatever when I got home from school. And then you don't really use that energy. You sat on the TV or on the couch, you know, whatever Netflix in, and then you go to bed and like that energy's just kind of sat around waiting to be used. So um, there's heaps of studies to say like, have your biggest meal, whether you fasted or not, have your biggest meal, the first meal of the day, mm. when you're going to use your energy the most, and then kind of taper off and have like, say you're going to eat, I don't know, 1500 calories as a girl. Um, you might have like 600 calories of that in your first meal. And then you kind of taper off to say like a 300 calorie dinner, for example. Mm, so um, there's lots of studies behind that. And that's re- that can fit into everybody's lifestyle without restriction. It doesn't say, you know, what calories to eat. It's just, you know, try and load up your energy at the beginning of the day and see what happens and try that for a couple of weeks if you want to try something on. Because I think that's a really cool way of um, kind of trial and error. Mm. That's got a lot of um, studies behind. I love that, Sal. A lot of um, a lot of useful, tangible ideas to consider and best practices to explore. But also, like we um, explored earlier in the piece, the the psychology of of eating well. Um, you know, I feel like we could really, really talk for hours on end. Um, but where can people <laughs> learn more from you? How can they connect with you? For sure. I'm all over the place, but probably the best spot is on Instagram. So I'm at the Fit Foodie blog. Um, come and hit me up in my DMs if you've got any questions. Um, and also the podcast, if you're looking for it, is at Wellness Fact or Fiction. Um, and as I was saying, we've got stuff on intermittent fasting and all, all the supplements and things like that, and multivitamins and all that jazz. And you can kind of hear the science behind it and the history behind it and how um, what it does within our bodies based on the science, not just based on somebody's... Um, instagram endorsement so um, we try and get to the bottom of things with with proper studies which is kind of fun we keep it we keep it light and entertaining though it's not a science class <laughs> it's a brilliant podcast i'll put the the show notes in the in the linky thing here when Thank i do you. my tech stuff really good podcast I, I suggest you guys go check it out she does reply to dms as well we're, t- we're laughing about off air <laughs> so uh, reach <laughs> oh my out god i'm the questions. worst i got told off I'm getting told off to reply to too many DMs, but do hit me up. It keeps me, it keeps me um, on track. It's great. You're a reliable source for really uh, insightful info. So I appreciate you carving out the time to connect with us today. And I'm sure we'll connect again in the future. Thank you, my love. Awesome to chat with you. Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you did enjoy it, if you got some sort of value from the episode, please do us a favor and subscribe to the channel. We've got lots more to come and share it with your friends and family. It all helps our mission of raising a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So please share the podcast and I look forward to sharing more with you on another episode.